This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Okay, I know it's always risky uh, when you when you ask the congregation what they remember from previous sermons. But I feel I'm on fairly safe ground with this question, which is, can anyone remember what series of teaching we spent the first five months of the year on? <laughs> no, the first five months of the year. <laughs> Foundations, thank you. Well done, all those that remembered Simply Jesus. Yeah, we don't need that one anymore. <laughs> remember all those that remember what we've been talking about for the last three months, but for the previous five months, we were talking about foundations. And if you remember, it was one of the things that Kerry Jones, who is the apostle that has um, oversight and care for this church, had asked the, uh, the elders, in fact, of all the churches he works with in the UK, to look at the Hebrew six foundations of the faith. And you know, when God wants us, when God takes us back to look at our foundations... It's, it's not rocket science to work out why. What are foundations for? Building on. <laughs> Building on. And so I've been stirred lately um, in thinking about that, about the, the many ways that the Bible talks about building the house of God. And that's what I want to speak about now and probably the next few times that I get to speak. I want to talk about building the house of God. And I was... Through, uh, so I've been thinking about this for several weeks, and through this week I was thinking, right, this Sunday I'm going I'm to start talking about building the house of God, but how am I going to do that? Where am I going to go? And um, just, just kind of like in, in some, uh, my own kind of Bible reading this week, I turned and read the book of Zephaniah, and the reason I read the book of Zephaniah is because I thought I've not read the book of Zephaniah for a while, and so I read it, and it's a great thing to do, particularly all the, all the books of the Bible that only have kind of like four, three, four, five chapters, they're really bite-sized, and, and it gives you a real um, insight when you read the whole thing. And so I read the book of Zephaniah, and, um, and, and I, came to this, um, I came to a phrase, in fact it was in the footnotes of the ESV, that just got my attention in Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12, and it says, I will punish the men who are thickening on the dregs. I will punish the men who are thickening on the dregs. And I thought, what on earth does that phrase mean? And it got me going down and doing a bit of research. And anyway, that's where we're going to. We're going to thickening on the dregs. It's not a good thing because God punishes those that are doing it. But we're going to get there. We're going to get there and find out what, what does this mean? Um, but just to remind you that building the house is one of the key metaphors and mysteries um, you know a lot of the stuff in the new testament particularly around the church is both a metaphor and a mystery so like the body of christ is both a metaphor for how the but the church works we work like a body we each have a different part we're all connected we all need need each other that's a metaphor but it's also a mystery because the truth is we are the body of christ and and so you get this kind of combination of metaphor and mystery that it helps us understand, but it also is a much deeper spiritual truth. And one of the, the, the pictures, one of the metaphors and mysteries is that we are the house of God. And Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says this, you are no longer strong.
Thank you, Dave. Uh, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So we are the house of God. We are the temple of God. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, guys. That was super efficient. I'm always suspicious of the battery indicator on this microphone because it only ever says two. It never says three, it never says one, it only ever says two, and then it stops working. There we go. So we are the house of God, and God is building his house. So the, the whole mission of God in the present age is intimately tied to the building of the church of Jesus Christ as a house where God dwells by his spirit. The more the house is built, the more God is seen, the more of his glory is seen in the earth. It's a way of, 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 of understanding the process of God's unfolding purpose because God has process to his purpose things do change things do move forward God is on the move and like all great spiritual truths we find that it also has an expression when we read the old testament in the history of Israel and in the Old Testament times, uh, because God's, God's eternal purpose is foreshadowed through the history of Israel. So we can read and understand a lot about what God is doing in the present age by realizing that with God, there's always a principle of first the natural and then the spiritual. That in the, uh, that in the natural history of God's people in the Old Testament, in, God's, in, in, in the history of the, the natural people of God, if you like, those who were, who were God's because of their... Um, uh, ethnicity and their natural descendants from um, Abraham, there is a foreshadowing of the great purpose and the greater story of God's spiritual people, which no longer is limited to just one nation, but is all who will accept the name of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ across the earth. So we find, and Paul says when he's talking about these types and shadows of the Old Testament, he says that they're a type, of, they're a shadow, but the substance or the reality or the greater truth, the greater expression of these things belongs to Christ. Amen? And so that means we can learn from these narratives and we can understand, we can get spiritual insight because I don't know whether, uh, here's a revelation for you, I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, the Old Testament is much longer than the New Testament, okay? Um, and the New Testament is, is, is pretty much um, the, the apostles kind of reflecting on the Old Testament scriptures in the light of who Jesus is. Um, so you'll have noticed they haven't actually finished the job. They finished the job of writing scripture. I'm not suggesting we're going to write any more scripture. But they haven't unpacked every bit of truth that you can get out of the Old Testament. But if they did, the New Testament would have been significantly longer than the Old Testament. But as it is, it's much shorter. So they're giving us a pattern and a template. Let me just say this again. Not to write scripture, but to understand what God is doing right now in the light of reading the history of Israel in the light of those who have, have who've come to know Jesus and understand what he came to the world to do and what he continues to do. 
And there's one particular narrative, if we want to look at building the house, that really speaks to us. And it's what in, uh, scholars call the Restoration Era. In the Old Testament times, when, when the people that had been taken into captivity in Babylon came back, at least some of them came back, and they came back with the express purpose of rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the house of God. And we read that narrative in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and then we, we hear the prophetic words that go alongside with it in the books of Haggai and Zechariah. Zechariah, uh, there's lots of weird visions and all kinds of symbolism that is uh, admittedly fairly challenging to understand. Haggai, there's none of that. It's all very straightforward. So we're going to have a look in Haggai uh, because it's much easier to understand. But the book of Ezra describes how Zerubbabel... Uh, at the decree of Cyrus, king of Persia, leads a band of Jews back from captivity in Babylon with the express purpose of rebuilding the house of God or the temple, which had been destroyed about 50 years earlier. And all the prophets before the time of the exile, and it becomes even more intense with those who prophesy just before the exile, like Jeremiah and Zephaniah, they are warning God's people, if you continue to forsake the ways of God, God's ultimate punishment on you is that he will take you out of the land that he has given you. And so the captivity is a punishment for forsaking God and his ways. But it's not a punishment without end. It's a punishment aimed at redemption and restoration. That's always God's intention. And he brings a judgment in order that he can bring salvation. And now, at the beginning of the book of Ezra, we begin to read the story of how this is going to be, how this restoration is going to work. And so they come back and they quickly rebuild the altar. And they begin work on the temple, but then there's some opposition. And how many of you know that whenever you're doing the will of God and the purpose of God, uh, you're going to find some opposition? So they began to find some opposition, and they, they basically stop work. And instead of working on building the temple, they look at making their own lives kind of secure. They kind of build their own homes and, and start farming and basically trying to get kind of natural life going again. And, um, and, 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 you know, there's, there's kind of general, if you read kind of the history of what's happening that's not in the Bible, the history of what's happening around that time, it's a time of great clashes between different empires of the Greeks and the uh, Persians and the Egyptians. And, of course, uh, the land of, of Judah is, is right where those kind of three areas of influence meet. And so there was a lot of stuff going around, a lot of stuff to distract them. But basically, the work on the temple stopped for about 18 years. And then in Ezra 5 and Haggai 1, and those are very much parallel passages, they, they actually refer, I think, uh, I'm, I'm fairly persuaded they refer to exactly the same occasion. Um, we read about how the work begins again. So turn with me to Haggai 1. And uh, probably a fairly familiar passage, because I know I've preached from it several times, but... Uh, So here's, here's Haggai the prophet. And Ezra 5 tells us that Zechariah was prophesying at the same time as well. And it begins with a rebuke. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So you've got the political leader and the spiritual leader of the nation. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is time, sorry, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've so much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages puts them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you will have withheld their dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain and the new wine and the oil. And on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labours. Bit of a rebuke. It's a hard word. It's a hard word. But then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their, uh, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you. There we go. Forward prophecy. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord, look what happens. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah. And the spirits of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And if we carried on, we'd find that it takes them a few months and they complete the house. It's a great way to respond when God rebukes, is to obey. And in their obedience, they provoke God to speak again. And God says, I am with you. And look what happens. It says, the Lord God stirred up their spirits. Something happened. They didn't work it up themselves. They weren't grudgingly going and getting on with the task and cutting down the wood that was needed. There was something inside them now that compelled them to build the house. You know, that's what God is looking for in his church today. Those that when they hear the word of the Lord, there is a stirring in their spirit and they get up and build. It's time for building, friends. It's time for building in our own lives. It's time for building in our city. It's time for building this house. It's time for building and seeing God's kingdom extended. But it's not something that God ever wants us to do from an external compulsion. It's not to do with how big a stick can the preacher hit you with. It's not to do with, you know, you know in here, Haggai has to bring this word of rebuke. But it's out of their obedience that God then speaks this, this powerful, simple, gentle word. I am with you. And I don't know what the realization went on. They suddenly realized again, God is with us. We haven't got to do things out of our own strength. 
what does God do even in his rebuke to them? He's showing them, look, look, when you, when you put your own, when you come with your own agenda, when you put your own priorities first, it doesn't really work, does it? You work hard and never have enough. You think you've saved your money and then you find that you're putting it in a, in a purse with holes. It's, it's, when, when, you, when you put that first, it, it, it just doesn't work. But what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. All these things will be added to you. And there's a stirring of the spirit that I believe God wants to do across not just our church, but the whole of his church. A fresh rising up in response to a realization God is with us. It was Carissa's message last week, wasn't it? He's with us. Wow, what does that mean? It means so many things. But I tell you what it means. It means that we have what is needed to arise and build the house. Whatever it is that God has called you to build, you've got all that you need to build it. And there's a lot more I'd like to say about building the house, and I'm sure I will over the coming weeks. But I want to turn you now to Zephaniah, which is just the previous book in the Bible, and Zephaniah chapter 1. And this wonderful phrase, thickening on the dregs. And, and look, we're just going to read verse 12 and 13. Zephaniah is prophesying a few decades before the fall of Jerusalem, before the destruction of the temple. He's one of the prophets that's warning the people, return to the Lord, come back to his ways, because otherwise the judgment of God is coming on you. And you know, the judgment of God is a fearsome thing, but it always comes to create a way for salvation. And that's why we love to walk under the judgment of God. It's why we love to walk in the fear of the Lord, because it opens us up for his salvation to come. This people that Zephaniah speak to, they weren't actually going to listen. Israel was going to, Judah was going to have to experience the... Um, uh, the uh, captivity before this restoration could happen. But this is what God says in Zephaniah 1.12. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men. I'm going to read you the, what the ESV actually says, not in the footnote. It says, I will punish the men who are complacent. And those who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods should be plundered, their houses should be laid to waste, and though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them, and though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. And that's a recurring theme from the prophets, often coming to a nation that, like we said before, sat in this very vulnerable geopolitical position with much bigger empires all around them. And, and so the measurement of peace and prosperity with them was, can I build a house in, and live in it? Can I plant a vineyard and eat the grape and eat the, and, you know, eat, uh, eat the grapes and drink the wine that's going to come from it? Because those things take time. And so the, the, the idea of peace and prosperity was always these kind of ideas. And the idea of, of trouble was that those, those were not things. And God says, look, it's, it's not going to happen. And I tell you why. It's because you're, you're, you're complacent. You're thickening on the dregs. The NIV tries to give us both uh, uh, kind of uh, translations to kind of explain it. And it says this, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on, his, on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. There's a complacency, but I like this one the best, I think, in the NASV. It says the Lord will punish those who are stagnant in spirit. Stagnant in spirit. 
And, and when I saw that, I thought there's a sermon there because I've been reading about being stirred in the spirit, stirred in spirit. And now there's a scripture that talks about being stagnant in spirit. And it's just three pages earlier in my Bible. What a contrast. What, a, what, a, what, a, what extremes as to, as to how we could be living our lives. Are we stirred in spirit because we're attentive to the word of God? Or are we stagnant in spirit because we're those that are saying, nothing's going to change. God will do nothing good and he'll do nothing bad. That's almost a definition of not fearing the Lord. <laughs> yeah, of, 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 of being complacent, of being, of, Peter addresses the same thing, doesn't he? He says, he says there, are, there are those who are scoffers and they say, you know, where is the sign of his coming? Nothing ever changes. But you know, those who are stirred in spirit, those who are attentive to the word of the Lord, they know that God is on the move. They know that God is working. And they know that when God is working, Jesus says, my father works even unto now and I work also. And we ought to be saying, and we do too. We join ourselves with what God is doing. We realize there's a house to be built. We're not thickening on the dregs. The idea here, and I've, I've yet to get to the bottom of this, because apparently today, thickening on the dregs is, uh, the, the, the nice winemaker's term for it is resting on the lees. Okay? Which apparently is done a lot with white wine. They don't rack the wine off the dregs. They leave it on the dregs, and it adds interesting flavors to the white wine. Doesn't happen very much with red wine. And um, it, kind of, it kind of gives this kind of mellow... Uh, kind of lazy evening drinking kind of wine <laughs> as opposed to the fresh young wine which has taken off the lees quickly so that it maintains this kind of young liveliness and I think that's probably what Jesus is talking about in Luke 5 when he talks about the new wine and the new wineskin but the problem being those that drunk the old wine says but the old wine is better and um, it's better if you're complacent, it's better if you're stagnant. It's not better if you realize God is doing a new thing. It's not better if you realize what was good yesterday is no longer good today. What, is, what does the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah 43? Forget the former things. Do you know what former things he was talking about? He's talking about the exodus from Egypt. <laughs> that was a really, really good thing. He's not saying forget the bad things from the past. He's saying forget the good things from the past. Because you'll end up living in the past. And you'll end up having a conception of a God who used to do good things. Who used to perform miracles. Who used to show his power. And we're not supposed to forget the Exodus, okay? <laughs> the Bible's full of stuff referencing back to the Exodus. But he said, look, if you live on that, you'll become complacent. Because your, your faith will just be historic. There's a real danger, even for the youngest in this room, for your faith to become something historic. For your following Christ to be a decision you made many years ago. That's the old wine. But there's a new wine. That's resting. Thick, that's thickening on the dregs. And you can, you, can, you can smarten it up and say, you're resting on the lees. Or... Or I think, I, I should have written down what it says. It's they, they proudly put it on some French wines. 
And I think, it, I think it's cuvee on lee, it says. Um, something like that. And it's a kind of a sign that this is going to be. You know, you can, you can fancy it up as much as you like. I can tell you that by law, champagne has to be left resting on the lees for 18 months. You know, make it sound like a wonderful thing. But if it keeps you in the past, and if it keeps your view of God as someone who used to work, who used to move, of those that said in the time of Haggai, the time hasn't come for building the house. You said, well, what did you think 18 years ago when you started it? You thought the time had come then, but you've allowed yourself to become distracted by very similar, but actually entirely different projects of building your own house. Of looking to your own needs. Of building your own life and your own legacy. But God says in Zephaniah, no, I'm going to come. Because it's not just about, just, it's not saying, well, I can, you know, I've got to look after my family. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And God comes and says, no, there's an attitude in here that basically says, we don't believe God's going to do anything. God will do nothing, either good or bad. He says that's called complacency. That's called not living in the fear of the Lord. And if you stay in that place, you're going to lose what you've got. But... His word comes. And I want to say to those, I want to say, I think, has Jen gone out? Um, you say, Jen, if you're watching later, thank you so much for bringing that word. We need to hear the prophetic word. Because it's the prophetic word that keeps us stirred in spirit. Yeah? Those of you that have a gift of prophecy, stir yourselves because your word that you're going to bring is going to stir the spirit of God's people. Those of you that don't have a gift of prophecy, stir yourself and ask the Holy Spirit for the gift of prophecy. Because it's the prophetic word that is going to keep God's people stirred in spirit. It's the prophetic word that's going to keep people realizing God is at work. God is on the move. God is doing something and he's calling me to be part of it. It's the prophetic word that's going to keep us from complacency. It's the prophetic word that's going to keep us walking in the fear of the Lord. Because his voice is going to be coming again. And it doesn't have to be, it's not the fire and the brimstone, it's not the big stick, it's the voice that says, like Jen says this morning, I reign. Or like Haggai says, I am with you. You think if God is with us, what's he doing? What's he with us for? If he reigns, what's he reigning to achieve? Well, the scripture says he's, he's reigning until all things are brought under his feet. There is so much going on. And God wants us to be part of it. When I read the scripture this week, I was challenged. Which is a good thing. If you read the scripture and nothing happens, um, read some more. <laughs> it's living and active. <laughs> you read enough of it, eventually, <laughs> eventually it will penetrate. <laughs> but I was challenged. I said, am I, am I sickening on the dregs? <laughs> am I stagnant? Am I... Are my expectations of what God will do diminished? Do I have any of the attitude that says God's not going to do anything, whether good or bad? God's not going to do anything bad, so it doesn't matter what I do. God's not going to do anything good, so there's no point getting involved. 
Well, I, I don't think I have that position in an absolute sense. But, you know, there's a temptation, I think, in all of us. That's why it's there in the word. To settle. To become complacent. But what God wants and what God is looking for are those who are stirred in spirit. I believe that in our time this morning as we worship together, God stirred our spirits. What are you going to do about that? You know what they do with the wine? You, can't, you don't get the dregs out of the wine, you get the wine out of the dregs. You, 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 it's what they call racking. You might call it decanting. You pour out the wine and you leave behind the dregs. It's the wine that's got to move. Don't be in there trying to fish the dregs out of your life. Say, God, where are you pouring me? Where are you pouring me? It's like Paul says, he says, I'm like a, I'm like a, a drink offering. I'm being poured out. Lord, I'm the one that's going to move. I'm the one that's going to respond. Where are you, going to, where are you sending me? What's the, what's the new wineskin that you're pouring me into? What's the new vessel that you want me to be involved in? What's the new work? For, the t- for those in the time of Haggai, it was to leave off their own unproductive, um, self-centered work and building and to return to building the house of the Lord. And there's a challenge, I think, there's a challenge for us all to say, yeah, I'm, if I'm stirred in spirit, I need to move. If I'm stirred in spirit, I need to do something different. And I want to encourage you because um, I'm, I'm definitely going to be talking about building the house for a few weeks. <laughs> um, you're definitely going to be stirred next weekend when Judah and Rachel are here. Yeah? Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Yeah? Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you're being, like, like you're being poked with a stick. <laughs> um, we, need to, we need to embrace a little bit of discomfort. I mean, this is a whole, this is a whole other, this is a whole other sermon I'm going to preach now. I'm going to finish now. <laughs> There's a world of difference between, com- between being comfortable and being comforted. God comforts us. He doesn't make us comfortable. In fact, the fact that we need comforting suggests we've been made uncomfortable. The pursuit of God and the building of his house is often uncomfortable. But the comfort of God is so much more. To be able to rest in the will of God, however uncomfortable the surroundings. And to know a fulfillment and a peace and a joy. Is a wonderful and precious thing. And for those whose spirits are stirred. It's something they readily embrace. I am with you, says the Lord. We love the presence of God. I'm sure you love the presence of God. We need to remember there was a purpose to his presence. At that time, as there is a purpose to his presence now, and the purpose of his presence is that we build the house. That we get on with the mission that he's called us to. That we join in the work that he's doing. So open your hearts afresh to him. Listen to the prophetic word. Bring the prophetic word. Allow your spirits to be discerned, uh, to be stirred. When, when a word comes... That is a rebuke, embrace the rebuke and obey it. Obey the word of God. When the word comes as an encouragement, realize that it's there to energize you into the purposes of God. And reject comfortableness. 
in order that you might live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to pray for us. Can I ask you to stand? So Holy Spirit, we want to say thank you for all the ways that you've spoken to us this morning. Thank you that your word comes with simplicity and clarity, power. Lord, I pray for every heart here that has been stirred, every spirit that has been stirred today. Lord, that the stirring would increase. Lord, it wouldn't wear off by lunchtime. It wouldn't make it through to Tuesday. But Lord, it would be something that grows and grows. And Lord, that for those of us, and I'm figuring it's probably all of us, <laughs> that meet, need to make decisions about changing our priorities and changing where we put our time and our effort to, Lord, that there would be such a joy and release in doing that. Lord God, that there would be a, a, an increasing in this sense of God is stirring me on the inside. Lord, I thank you that we are under grace and not under the law, which means we do nothing out of compulsion from outside, but we do everything from a compulsion that comes from within. Lord, that it's the life of God within us that compels us. It's the love of God within us that compels us. It's the, it's the fire in our bones that drives us, Lord God, to walk in your ways and to walk in the fear of the Lord. Lord, we say we reject the attitude that says God will do nothing, either good or bad. But we say God is doing many, many things. Lord, you are on the move in our city. You are on the move in our church. You are on the move in our lives. And we join in with that movement, Lord, and we give ourselves to that movement. And where it means laying aside other things, we lay them aside because we know we cannot lose when we seek first the kingdom. Lord, we know that we cannot be left in a deficit when we give our all to you. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, I ask that you do a work in our lives, a work in our hearts, and seal something in there, Lord, that we will be those who continually live with a stirred spirit, building your house, running after your ways and your purpose. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. This is Jeremiah 48, verse 11. Moab has been left quiet since his youth, settled like wine on its dregs. He hasn't been poured out from one container to another or gone into exile, so his taste has remained the same and his aroma hasn't changed. I want to tell you that the containers that you are pouring in are not projects but people. I'm not asking what you're pouring into, I'm asking who are you pouring into. I'm not asking what something you're pouring into, I'm asking what someone you're pouring into. And the defining difference will be this. You'll taste different. You'll smell different. There'll be an attitude within you and a knowledge within you that something's changed. Because as you pour out, I will pour in of myself. As you pour out, I will pour in myself. So I ask you this question, who are you pouring into? What container are you pouring into? Are you congealed within yourself? Or are you a person who is pouring?
Amen. I believe that's the word of God. Let that come and take root in you. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.